0: Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is Majitog Dark Ember the Eighth. My name is Adam, and today I'm gonna to give you my spoiler review of Dragon Spell by Jeff Sampson. And I will be spoiling this story, so if you don't wanna know it, stop watching now. I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below. You can even check out Dragonlance Gaming Materials uh, using my affiliate link. Now this is my perspective only, so if you disagree, Feel free to leave me a comment if you happen to be catching this live uh, or comment in chat or leave a comment below if you're watching it at any other given time in the day. So uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in live for those of you who are. Let's get into this. The way these work is I'm going to give you my uh, pre-written review and then I'll just sort of riff on the characters and situations afterward. And if you have any uh, questions or comments throughout the course of this, let me know what you think uh, as we're going through and then I'll just sort of bounce off of those after it hey Chris thanks for joining live <laughs> nice and uh Mr. Mundane a little underwhelming <laughs> of a name but how you doing man all right the novel picks I might have to put on my glasses too because my eyes are really blurry today the novel picks up with Davin in S. tower she has stripped him of all of his weapons and locked him up in the tower room She knows that he came here to kill her and is going along with the ruse that he wants to serve her. She calls him into the tower to watch her casting a summoning spell. Many different types of creatures appear out of the forest, seemingly confused, and then they begin attacking each other. The victors are part of her army that she is building. Ophian enters, stands up beside Davin, and there's no love between them at all, even though they're both essentially slaves to Asphoria. The Sorceress is trying to find a dragon to transfer her essence into in order to dominate Kryn. But no dragon she approaches wants anything to do with her. Her 2,000-year-old plan of world domination seems to be stalled. This is all compounded by the fact that Nuiteri will, uh, will be full in a day, and she wants to use that night to transfer her essence. Niara, inside of the body, is fighting as best as she can, but ends up being nothing more than a nuisance to Asvoria. She sends Opian to take care of Davin's friends, who she knows are coming, and locks Davin in his room. Ofian takes the summoned beasts and comes across Catriona. She's with Sindri and Madoc. Madoc is teaching Sindri the spells necessary to split Asvoria from Niara, still pretending not to have magic of his own. I will note that as I wrote this, reflecting back on like editing them, they never actually use that spell that he's teaching her, uh, teaching Sindri in order to defeat Asevoria. So whatever spell it was that they were, like, learning is not the one that it's referencing here, which is really weird, but what do you know? So we are still led to believe that Elador is dead, which seems like such a waste since we all know he isn't. They defeat Ophian's beasts, and Ophian escapes when they run into Jira, Rena, and Mud, who were supposedly headed to Planthus, but are now nearest Vori's tower. Why? Well, because it's in the script, that's why. So Jira and Rena still hate each other, both smitten with Davin and jealous of each other. They all decide to go to the tower together, but cannot see through the forest, so Davin, all cut up, comes running through the trees. This is so painfully obviously Ophian. But everyone believes it's Davin, and he demands that they all go fight Asvoria immediately. So everyone fo- uh, follows him into the tower, where they see Asvoria on the battlements, and Davin changes into Ophion, of course. So Asvoria begins casting a spell that causes the various summoned beasts to merge together like some sort of like Voltron beast. Those who didn't merge were revealed as undead slave warriors. They part away for the heroes to enter the keep with Asvoria watching. She's drawing them into a trap which they willingly and knowingly enter. Sindri and Madoc enter the keep. Then the door locks behind them and the undead begin attacking the companions still outside. They fought them and retreated to a better defensive position. Inside the keep, Sindri and Madoc split up. And Sindri finds Davin. Davin asks him to open the door to his equipment so he could kill Asvoria with the Dragonite's sword. <laughs> Since that's uh, why they're all there, Sindri agrees, and then they wander into Asvoria's chamber. They battled, but Sindri was caught unaware by Ophion, and Asvoria reclaimed the Daystar Medallion. So she uses it to summon Radon, the Copper Dragon, and Davin entered uh, in order to kill Asvoria, but he couldn't convince himself to do it for some reason. So Radon enters the keep and Asvoria possesses his body before he knows what's happening. And as Radon flew out to kill the other companions, Niara's soul was still pulling at Asvoria from within her own body, meaning that they are still both connected to each other from the Dragonwell experience. Asvoria, now called the Daystar Dragon, tried to kill Niara, but felt all of the pain that she was inflicting on her herself, as they are still connected, so she ordered Ovian to change into a flying creature and carry Niara with her. The companions could do nothing against the Daystar Dragon, and Davin collected a glass sphere which was later revealed to house Radon's soul. As the Daystar Dragon flew to a new, formerly abandoned Dragon's Lair, it killed everyone and laid waste to every town on the way, leaving a trail of destruction for the companions to follow. Watching her were twins, humans called the messengers. There was a third with them, but he left. The companions followed the destruction and met up with these messengers, and after some odd banter between all of them, the messengers left to gather allies from the villages and adventures the companions helped in the past and left them to follow Madoc to collect the Aegis sword, which he reforged. Now, More important than the question that everyone is asking in this, which is, why did he reforge the Aegis? Was, at what point in the story did he actually put it where they're going to go get it? Because there was no time for him to have done that in between these two stories. At the end of his story of forging it, he met up with Catriona and Sindri and Palanthus. And then they followed each other all the way till this moment now where he says that he hid the sword with some old friend of his. But there's no possible way that could have happened because it, it never happened. It's just, the, this entire series has just been bouncing around narratively just because it fits the feel of the author. Whether it's accurate to the previous novel or not it doesn't seem to matter so at least that's consistent so everyone's wondering how and why he reforged the agus and madoc just said it was for the greater good that was it and everyone just bought it so he didn't want to ask reclaiming the sword that he reforged for the greater good so he hid it when how no one knows so they head towards the place where he hid it and meet an old black-robed acquaintance of Maddox called the Goblin Man. Now the Goblin Man is actually named Arvin and was as obsessed with Ophion as Maddox was with Asvoria. He wanted to become a shapeshifter and ended up randomly transforming into a red goblin. It's sort of like a Hulk situation. <laughs> when he gets angry, the red goblin comes out. Really lazy. So he hid uh, the Aegis, the Goblin Man behind a bunch of traps that the goblin man set and made himself the goblin man forget them so that if Asvoria happened to come a calling he wouldn't be able to tell her how to get it <laughs> which is weird because we know the companions are going to go get it so if they could do it and Asvoria is infinitely more powerful than all of them supposedly why couldn't she just go do it all right So the companions go after it anyway, seeing that it was at the bottom of a cliff. It required you to walk down the cliff parallel to the ground. So you're walking across the floor like this, and then the cliff is in front of you. You have to just walk like that. And gravity shifts on the wall of the cliff. It's just kind of one of those weird things. Once at the bottom, the mist that was sort of emanating out of the the cliff uh, area turned into a missed Beast, with the Aegis sword at its center. The uh, They ended up battling the beast, but they couldn't harm it at all, so Catriona jumped inside of it, just like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. She's like, I have to kill it from the inside! Rah! So she does that. Uh, she, <laughs> uh, she fights it from the inside, but can't really hurt it either. But since the Aegis is on the inside, she finally grabs the Aegis, and, like, cuts out this sort of magical core that's in the be- the mist beast's head. Now, with the Aegis, Sindri swore to learn black magic to stop Asphoria, and Kat swore to battle Asphoria. Why they decided to include this, I don't know, because we already knew that's what they were doing. That's what this entire eight novel series is about. It, it's weird that they would just be like, oh, this is what we have to do. I, I did it because Maddox asked me to swear to him that I would do it but you're doing it anyway. So it doesn't matter whether you swore to Madoc to do it or not, because you're still doing it. It's just like this pointless reference to Madoc for no reason, with zero payoff. Very strange. So, Asvoria, in the form of the Daystar Dragon, formed her throne room in the mountain cave system and drew the attention of a great red dragon named Magnus. Now, he is ready to destroy her when she reveals the ancient black dragon, Victant, who had earlier refused to work with her. Asvoria had him chained into the ground and destroyed him right in front of Magnus as an example to him and any other dragons who will in the future, presumably, refuse to work with her. So, work with Asvoria or die is the message. She could see tents popping up all around the base of her mountain and began to make plans for the coming war. The companions leave with the Aegis and find the messengers had returned with the friends from all of the different books so we got the freeholders baroness veal heroes from potter's mill even clerics from the tower of the holy order of the stars including jacks the minotaur who is now a cleric from the first book and a whole bunch of other new people so they're setting this up as a massive war against asphoria which is actually kind of cool So as more supporters continue to arrive, a Knight of the Crown named Sir Kristoff demanded to make battle plans with Davin and seemed to be taking over the entire war. When the Knights of Slamnia insist on surveying and then returning to their order to request more backup, including Dragon Lances in order to defeat the Daystar Dragon, Davin freaks out. (laughs) And he's like, we don't have time for this. Uh, So he tells Sir Christoph that he will be entering the cave with his friends immediately even if that means that they have to fight through the undead armies themselves. Sir Christoph accepts that time is, in fact, of the essence and rallies the army to advance on the undead. Now, as they all fight through the undead army, they enter the caves to find the black dragon was turned into an undead black dragon, and it uh, it takes the attention of everyone in order to fight it. Sindri ends up defeating it with Maddox's help and an evil spell, whatever that means, and Catriona advances on the Daystar dragon... By herself. Now, here's the part where you would be thinking, if you're reading this for the first time as I did, why would she fight the Daystar Dragon by herself? Yes, she has the Aegis, but that's just a sword, a magical sword. Wouldn't Asvoria, in the form of the Daystar Dragon, who is the most powerful creature on Kryn itself right now, be able to defeat this one lowly little mortal human female? No, is the answer. She can't because of the Aegis. Apparently the Aegis makes you godlike or something. So she strikes at uh, the Daystar Dragon with the Aegis and she hears Niara screaming on the floor behind her because they share a connection and they share their wounds. So this stops Catriona from attacking Asivoria as she searches for Davin to try to figure out how the hell they're gonna beat this Daystar Dragon. And then you might ask yourself, as I did when I was reading this, why doesn't the Daystar Dragon just stomp on Catriona and kill her and stop this whole nonsense immediately? And the answer is, I don't know. She just doesn't do anything. She doesn't fight back. She doesn't attack the entire army that's there. She just hides behind her throne. It's so mind-bogglingly stupid that she just doesn't squish them. Or... I don't burn them to cinders but apparently everyone's like the matrix and dodging all of her attacks she can't hit anyone so what was the point of her going into the day star dragon i don't know because she's less powerful as the day star dragon or at least less effective than she was before it ah it's so frustrating from time to time okay so it turns out that ophian has been messing with all the companions. She has just been randomly turning into various different party members and messing with all of the other party members, like lowering their morale and defeating their confidence. Then she takes the globe that contains Radon's soul, which they've been like lovingly protecting this whole time, and breaks it and does like a straight up, oops, did I do that? Seriously. (laughs) She's in the form of a centaur Ionti. Davin is devastated as Ophion turns on Rina, the, uh, Elador's half-sister elf, and begins attacking her, whipping her ass. Davin ends up cutting down Ophion from behind with the Dragon Knight's sword, and straight up kills Ophion. That's when Kat shows up, starts begging Davin for help. Now, they have clearly no idea how to sever the connection between Asivori and Nyara, and Sindri suddenly asks if there's a magical current that they could all see. Why would he say this? Why would he ask this? Why would he even think to ask this? I don't know. It's just in the script. Why wouldn't he? So. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm like jumping off script here. Uh, this spurs Maddock to tell them that this, there is magical currents that you can see if he casts a spell for them to see it. So he casts the spell through Sindri. And uh, Davin sees the connection, the magical connection, between uh, Niara's body and the Daystar Dragon, Esvoria. And he just goes up and cuts it with the sword. Nothing special. Goes through it like butter. And that's it. Could he have done it without being able to see it? Arguably. But, whatever. Like, if I was... (laughs) He knew he had to use this sword to sever the connection between Asvoria and Niara. So why didn't he just walk up to Niara, who's just laying on the ground, she's not doing anything, she's not helping fight, nothing, and just, like, swing the sword around her body. Because he would have hit that magical current that connected them, and it would have severed it, and problem solved. But whatever, that'd be too easy. Then Catriona advances on Asvoria the Daystar Dragon, who is in a mad daze after being severed from her shapeshifter, Ophian, and Niara, so Kat ends up striking a killing blow which kills all of the undead army as well. It was literally that easy. She just walked up to her and stabbed her. After seven different books of them trying to do this, that was it! The most underwhelming like death moment of any death moment I've ever seen in any media ever it's just the stupidest shit ever so (laughs) they all leave shooken up from the battle sort of dazed they retire to the tower of the holy order of the stars from the first novel and all the characters share their thoughts and desires with each other Davin will continue with Niara and Jira as they try to unlock their their magical abilities with the Trinister. Sindri will leave with Madoc to train in black magic. Rena leaves for home, scarred emotionally. Kat leaves to find her way with the Solemnic Knights, presumably. As Jira steps outside, it's revealed that the two messengers that helped them gather the army are actually powerful sorcerers that are using Jira to keep Niara weakened so that they can use them. And Jira is complicit in their actions. This is just a setup for another trilogy that I am not going to read. So ultimately, this was a relatively satisfying end. I really enjoyed the character interactions, uh, the trauma from battle. The consequences were real again, and that was kind of cool, seeing everyone reunited against Asvoria. I did feel like it was way too easy for all the companions. They were assisted in getting inside, and it didn't feel all that hard to kill Asvoria once they got inside. But other than that, again, It was a relatively satisfying end of the series. If you have read the preceding seven novels, well then definitely read this to end it all, but if you're only on one or two novels in, it's not worth it. Step away. (laughs) This is not the book you're looking for. Uh, They did finally conclude saying that Sindri was in fact magic because of the dragon breath, but they still had magic casting spells through Sindri and Sindri casting spells without having memorized them, and that just doesn't feel right to me. But hey, unless I write it, I can't really complain. And that's it. So, what do you guys say? Man, you read these books fast. They're like kids' books. (laughs) They're under 300 pages each. So it's just like, you know, you just consume it. How to D&D. How you doing, man? Good to see you. Um, Let's see. So, Christoph, wow, you're a knight after all. What? (laughs) What? No, that's another person. Let's see, uh, what do you think was the best part of the series? Good question. Setai, the warrior that trained Davin. And, well, arguably, Davin and all the companions. He was the, hands down, the best part of the entire series. And he was in it for maybe five pages total. (laughs) Like, he just didn't have a huge role other than training them. It's just, he was such a cool character type. I really appreciated. And, um... I don't know man, like I feel like if they were just consistent it's almost as if uh, it's almost as if each author like they sat down with a plan, right? And they sat down with an outline saying, "Okay, this novel is going to cover this, this novel is going to cover that," at, you know, all the way through eight novels. And then each author took control of the novel that they were assigned to, and they just wrote it out. Now, whether that meshed with any of the alterations or changes that the other authors made didn't matter because they got their outline and they wrote their novel. And so there's inconsistencies between books that are maddening to someone like me. Um, They're just hopscotching back and forth on whether or not Sindri has any magic at all, but we're clearly seeing him cast magic the whole time. So it's really aggravating that they keep playing that stupid trope. They keep saying that Elodore's dead, but we know he's alive. And then they say that after he had already left with Madoc, that they had taken his clothing and they were going to travel to Polanthus to deliver all of his personal effects to his father. But then in this novel, it said that those personal effects were delivered to his half-sister in Sylvanisty, and that's why she came looking for his murderer. So none of the timeline situations match up, not even remotely close, and it's entirely possible that me reading through these, like I was just plowing through them, maybe I missed something. And this one was actually an audiobook because I didn't want to have to pay for the physical book, which was like twice the cost of the audiobook. So I just got the audiobook, um, and the lady who is narrating it. You know, she, I don't know, I didn't think she was very particularly good, not because she was a girl, just because the way she was pronouncing things and the speed, like the, the pacing felt very weird to me as if she was like skipping content. But then I don't think it was her. I think the author was just skipping ahead in their content. And so she was just reading what the author wrote. So, like, overall, the entire series is so choppy and inconsistent, and it doesn't really feel like Dragonlance in any given moment. It could literally just be any prime material D&D world. Uh, It feels a lot like a kid's home game, which is not a bad thing, because I love home game DL, you know, Dragonlance games, which this could very well just be, you know? Someone just comes through. But when you're creating a, a series... You have to stay true to the core of what that series novels are supposed to be. To that campaign world that Dragonlance is supposed to be. And when you don't match up with that in a novel, then it no longer feels like Dragonlance. And it's a testament to how quickly you can take a Dragonlance property, remove or change a few little notes, and suddenly it no longer feels like Dragonlance at all. And this is a perfect example of that and it's kind of frustrating so i don't know let's see oh gold moon not you too and the last homies we gotta kill that saying <laughs> all right let's see these books are for babies yeah i mean they're they're not for um like they're for like 10 to 14 year olds i think is the age range and, like the regular Dragonlance novels, they're only for middle school kids. So they're not much higher than that age anyway. So these are just slightly under the normal Dragonlance age range. Um, <laughs> let's see. Dragon nomies. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Okay. So, what's the next book? That's a good question, too, Chris. Here's my plan moving forward. Um,. I'm going to be running the Shadows of the Dragon Queen adventure when it is released. Uh, I'm going to get it November 22nd, so just in a couple weeks. And I'm going to have to read through it in order to prep for the game. And I'm planning on starting the Dragonlance Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition game of Shadows of the Dragon Queen, uh, I think December 4th or something like that. Um, It's going to be right after the Saga game that I'm running right now. So I have to learn 5th edition in order to do that. I've only played it like twice and I never read any of the manuals or anything. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through all of the manuals. So I'm not going to be doing any more book reviews probably until the new year because I'm going to be focusing on reading through all of the 5th edition rules and then I'm going to be reading through the campaign that is going to be dropped, you know, early release digitally on November 22nd. And I'll give you guys a review of that once I'm done doing a, a non-spoiler review of that once I'm done reading through it. But that's that's probably going to be it. So I'm going to do live readings of the basic rules that are available for free on um, D&D Beyond. And then I'm going to um, do members-only readings, probably, maybe if I have time, of the core rules from the actual 5th edition books. That way I feel like I'll have a good, solid understanding of the rules by the time that the actual adventure drops. And then I'll be able to really run through it and have some fun. So that's my plan moving forward. Let's see. Uh, what do you think, dragon, uh, Dragons of Some Live chatting? Oh, boy. Let's see. A book club except less drinking wine and talking about it about your spouse. What? What? <laughs> Is that what book clubs do? Well, maybe they do. I'll be fine with 5e. Uh, Gold Moon's never played Saga and she's crushing it. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So that's my plan. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, that's going to do it for this review of Dragon Spell by Jeff Sampson. What did you think of the uh, final eighth novel in the New Adventures novel series? Do you have a favorite part of these novels? Feel free to email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click that stupid like button. All of this goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. This channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga, and I thank you for joining me in this celebration. This has been Adam with Dragonlance Saga, and until next time, Sláinte Vá.